Hello, this is the audio news programme from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. I'm Derek Thorne and coming up we'll be hearing about a couple of neglected tropical diseases. Dengue fever, where a vaccine is hopefully on the way, and Chagas disease, where elimination is hopefully within reach. First, though, an urgent call was recently made in The Lancet for the mass distribution of bed nets for malaria. A team of three authors, including Chris Curtis of the London School and the economist Geoffrey Sachs, have argued that if long-lasting insecticidal nets are distributed to everyone in malarious areas of Africa, not just women and children who are the at-risk groups, then the benefits could be huge. Professor Curtis told me more about the article. We're calling for provision of the money for full coverage of African lowland rural populations with long-lasting insecticidal nets to protect the individual using them, but also to kill large numbers of mosquitoes in those villages. And, and also you want these nets to go to everyone, not just to vulnerable groups, is that right? Yes, we, we want the nets to, to go to everyone because we have strong evidence, we and others have strong evidence, that uh, if you do that, you don't just give protection to the individual using the net, but you kill a lot of mosquitoes on the nets because the mosquitoes are attracted to the nets by the odour of the person under it. They come and buzz around it and get killed, so they're not there to go and bite anyone else. What exact benefits would this approach give? Well, um, major reductions in malaria disease and malaria mortality. And there were about four or five large-scale trials uh, done in different parts of Africa, which shows, in summary, that you prevent about 5.5 child deaths per year for every 1,000 children provided with treated nets. What, what evidence is there as well that on a whole country scale that this can be done and this can be effective? Well, as we uh, report in that article, and the first author is uh, Awash Teklahaimanot from Ethiopia, so he knows the details about Ethiopia, and they've done a remarkable job in uh, the last three or four years, in fact, in getting donors to provide a total of 18 million long-lasting nets for the complete coverage of the communities in the lowland malarious parts of Ethiopia. In fact, the Ethiopian ambassador in London, he actually said that they're going to get to the the 20 million target uh, during 2007. Can you also tell me about what, what the problems are with the current approach? You mentioned social marketing in, in the article. So, so what, what is that and what's the problem with it? Well, um, the, the idea is that one uses modern uh, advertising to promote the idea of using nets and also backs it up with various subsidy schemes for the, the categories that I mentioned, children and pregnant women, who are particularly vulnerable to malaria. And, of course, that's better than nothing. But I and the other authors of that uh, article really do feel that it's got some degree of coverage, but not enough. And we're really convinced that the most efficient thing is to do really what I have to say we, we have been doing in Tanzanian villages on a small scale for a long time, which is to go by a pre-arrangement to a village, check what beds there are in every house, and provide nets for everyone. The way we work is just to say we're coming next Tuesday with free nets for everyone. We're going to check every house and I can assure you that our team of about 10 people can provide for a whole village around 800 nets in a working day. It's pretty hard work, but it can be done. What, though, do you think actually will happen? Because you do make it sound very easy with your description of you know, what you do. But, I mean, what do you envisage actually happening after your call for this approach? Well, um, there's a lot more tens and hundreds of millions of dollars around now for anti-malaria work than there was, say, five years ago. As we say in our article... Given that you could, if you bulk purchase long-lasting nets and don't get them through you know, the retail market, you get them for 5 or $6 each, and they last for about five years. So it's something like a dollar a year 
for that net. And given that that net will uh, contain, on average, about 1.7 people, uh, that works out um, that about 60 US cents per person per year. And uh, if there's something like four or 500 million people in rural tropical Africa, that's a few hundred million dollars a year for complete coverage of rural areas. Chris Curtis of the London School, and the full article is available on the Lancet's website. Now, the World Health Organization has just announced a new effort to eliminate Chagas disease, also known as the kissing bug disease, by 2010. Chagas is a serious tropical disease caused by the parasite T. cruzi and transmitted by blood-sucking insects. And although it's mainly found in Latin and South America, it's now found in Europe, the US and Canada as well. In a moment, we'll be hearing from Michael Miles about how the London School is involved in this battle. First, though, here's Jean Janin of the WHO explaining what this renewed battle consists of and why it's happening now. We decided to prepare this big meeting for two or three main objectives. The first one was to create a new momentum, of course, for fighting Chagas and uh, to try to get a better organization between countries, between initiatives, between different activities, we have launched a WHO global network, which means that we have created a framework for uh, coordinating all activities. And the third important thing is that due to important migration of people from Latin America in different countries, North America, Europe, Japan, etc., as Chagas disease can be carried by people during years and years, there's a risk of transmission of the disease through blood banks, blood donation, organ transplant. And there's also a problem for these people to be cured in these countries uh, because they can carry the disease a long time. So the other was to globalize uh, the problem of Chagas elimination. So what exactly are the techniques that you can use to eliminate this um, as soon as you wish to by 2010? Well, to be frank, 2010, it was, uh, it was a date uh, which has been uh, given years ago for the first resolution. So the idea is if it's not possible for 2010, it would be quite later. But the idea is to boost this one. The main techniques used before were vector controls. The idea was to eliminate these bugs from the uh, uh, houses in Latin America, and it has been quite successful in many areas, mainly in Brazil, for example. Um, how exactly do you eliminate the vectors? So it's a, 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 an intradomiciliary uh, spraying of insecticides. Now, if we look at the way in which this disease is being dealt with at the moment, are there gaps, are there kind of deficiencies in the strategy at the moment that you're trying to fill, or are things actually working well right now? There's many things going well, you see, but there's a lot of questions remaining. Of course, everybody knows that these uh, vector control activities are very important, but some countries have some difficulties for getting a high coverage of their country. The detection of sick people is also quite difficult and we have some problems also for the treatment of these patients because we have not today a complete evidence of the efficacy of the drugs many many years after the infection so we have to work also for having better diagnostics for maybe also having better drugs and to uh, also uh, expand the, the screening of populations. And also, you mentioned drugs there. Exactly what drugs do you use? And have you been receiving any, any kind of help with that? We are using two drugs. The first one is a nifurtimox, 
manufactured by Bayer. And uh, we were happy two months ago to sign an agreement between WHO and Bayer Healthcare, and they have donated the drug for the next five years. So the drug now would be free of charge for all patients. And the second drug is uh, a besnidazole. So the besnidazole is now manufactured in Brazil, and we are discussing with the company for trying to get some more support. Jean Janin of the World Health Organization. This new effort to fight Chagas disease came partly out of a meeting organised by the WHO, and also at this meeting was Professor Michael Miles of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. I spoke to him about how the school is involved and, firstly, why we may never be able to fully eradicate this disease. The choice of words is interesting. Uh, some people use elimination and other people use eradication. Eradication is certainly impossible because this is a zoonosis. So it's a disease transferred to people from animals. And there are over 150 species of mammal in the Americas that carry T. cruzi-like organisms. So eradication is not possible. Elimination, I think, refers to elimination in terms of a major public health problem. It doesn't mean to say that one will never see clinical cases of Chagas disease. I think that's impossible. But what it means is that the international community, and particularly the community in the endemic areas, will have a sustainable approach to recognising the clinical disease and the symptoms and treating the patients effectively. Right, so let's move on to some of the work that's been happening here in the London School to do with this disease. Um, what, what kind of things spring to mind when I ask you about, about the work that's been going on here? Originally it was thought that T. cruzi was a single entity, so a single infectious disease agent. But about 20 years ago we demonstrated that that's not the case. It's a heterogeneous complex of organisms and there are two main genetic lineages, one which occurs in northern South America and Central America and the Amazon Basin, and another which occurs in southern South America. And these are genetically quite distinct and the distribution corresponds nicely with different clinical symptoms. So one of our achievements was to demonstrate major genetic differences between these two lineages. Subsequently we showed that uh, some of the strains, genetic strains, are hybrid organisms and we were the first to prove that T. cruzi is capable of genetic exchange. It was thought that it wasn't. We also used molecular epidemiology to work out the different transmission cycles and use those methods to show where organisms circulating in forest were also getting into houses or where transmission cycles were separate. And, and does that kind of research help with the control of the disease and hopefully the eradication? Very definitely. You have a completely different problem if you have an organism that's confined to houses and doesn't come back from the sylvatic cycle to if you have reinvasion, rapid reinvasion from a sylvatic cycle. So using the molecular methods on both the organisms and the triatome in bugs, the insects, you can work out where you have a problem of reinvasion and change the control strategy accordingly. Michael Miles there talking about some of the London School's work on Chagas disease. Finally, another neglected tropical disease is dengue fever, and one researcher recently visited the London School to give an update on current research into the dengue vaccine, which is a more active field of research than some might think. 
Harold Margolis is the director of the Paediatric Dengue Vaccine Initiative. And as he explained, 2 to 5% of people in the tropics and subtropics get infected with dengue every year, and at least a quarter of those progress to dengue fever. This, in turn, can lead to severe hemorrhagic fever. And although the overall mortality from this disease doesn't necessarily compare with something like malaria, the burden on health systems is still great, especially when an epidemic occurs. Dengue is actually caused by four related viruses. And so I began by asking him about the vaccines currently in development and how they attempt to deal with these four distinct agents. There are right now at least uh, five vaccine candidates that are in various phases of testing that have been put together as the four different types of dengue, so a tetravalent vaccine. There are two that are in pretty far along in clinical trials, and this is one produced by uh, GlaxoSmithKline and then another produced by Sanofi Pasteur. So they're essentially neck and neck uh, in terms of where they are going into larger phase two trials right now in children with it being anticipated that they're going to go into uh, large-scale trials, either Phase 2B or Phase 3 trials, somewhere starting in 08, 09, 2010, somewhere in the next three years. I can't tell you exactly because we actually don't know yet. Okay, and you mentioned there uh, them being tetravalent vaccines. I mean, what exactly is the idea here? How is it you you ideally plan to deal with these different vaccine types? And is, is that ideal going to be reached? Well, what we know is that if you've had a dengue of one type or one dengue virus type, you don't get reinfected with that type. So if you had dengue one, you don't get dengue one again. So the overall plan is to have each of the four dengue viruses, you know, attenuated viruses represented in the vaccine so that you have protection against all four types. Okay, um, you also talked about the, um, the current thinking that if you have one dengue type, your risk of severe dengue is greater if you then get another. Can you tell me more about that? Well, this, this has to do with um, as your antibodies to the original infecting type of virus uh, begin to go down. Now, we don't know how much they need to go down. In some people, in a very small percent of people, they may actually potentiate infection with the second dengue virus. And it is recognized that the more intense the infection, the higher the tighter, the more likely that you'll have severe dengue. So that's the basic concept. All of the risk factors for that really haven't been worked out. Also, scientifically, just looking at some of the techniques that have been used to develop some of these vaccines, um, you, you did put up some displays of some of the clever recombinant techniques. Can you tell me a bit more about what people have been doing? Well, there have basically been three approaches. One is what I call classic attenuation, where you passage your virus multiple times in a cell line to weaken it and attenuate its, its growth. The other new type, I guess one of the new types, is what's called a infectious clone and a chimera. So you take what's called the non-structural part of the virus or either of a dengue virus or a related virus. In one case, it's yellow fever the vaccine strain of yellow fever, and that's the part that has to do with the replicating machinery. And then you put the dengue envelope, the outer part of the dengue in there, which makes the antibody against dengue. And you can infect cells with that and make a vaccine. So that's been done using either yellow fever as as that backbone or using dengues as the backbone. So And then the third type has been a recombinant uh, or a subunit vaccine where the proteins are made by recombinant technology.
Harold Margolis, who is the director of the Paediatric Dengue Vaccine Initiative based at the International Vaccine Institute in Seoul. And there's more on that initiative at pdvi.org. That's all for this audio news programme, but do keep looking for more programmes at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine website. Thanks for listening and goodbye.